for its year-end issue, dated December 31st, 1999, Time Magazine awarded Albert Einstein as its Person of the Century. And in announcing their selection, the magazine editors wrote this, quote, in a century that will be remembered foremost for its science and technology, in particular for our ability to understand and then harness the forces of the atom and the universe, one person clearly stands out as both the greatest mind and paramount icon of our age, the kindly, absent-minded professor whose wild halo of hair, piercing eyes, engaging humanity, and extraordinary brilliance has made his face a symbol and his name a, a synonym for genius, unquote. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train and the conductor was making his way down the aisle punching tickets. And when he got to Einstein, Einstein um, reached in his vest pocket and his ticket wasn't there. And so he reached in his trouser pockets and he still couldn't find his ticket. So he looked in his briefcase and his ticket wasn't there. And then he looked on the seat beside him and the ticket was gone. And the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket, don't worry. And Einstein nodded appreciatively. So the conductor continued working his way down the aisle, punching tickets, and when he got to the end of the car and was about to enter the next, he turned around and he saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under his, the seat to see if he could find his ticket. And so he rushed back and he said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. Don't worry, I'm sure you bought the ticket, it's okay. And Einstein looked at the man and said, young man, I know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> My name is Ken Greek, and our family has been attending Chino Valley Community Church for about 25 years. And it's my privilege to bring you this morning's message. Brian has been preaching through Acts for the past 13 weeks, which means that we're a little less than a third of the way through uh, the book of Acts' 28 chapters. More properly, Acts is titled The Acts of the Apostles, and it documents the events following the death of Jesus and his resurrection, and then his last instructions to his disciples before he ascended into heaven and then the work of the Holy Spirit that began on the day of Pentecost. 120 believers, both men and women, were gathered together in an upper room as Jesus had commanded them, waiting for power to come from on high. And from that day forward, when the Spirit came as the sound of a violent rushing wind and tongues of fire that rested and were distributed upon each one of them, the church has grown over the past 2,000 years to be the largest and most influential religion in the history of the world. On seven continents, with some 2.1 million believers who claim the name of Christ, about a third of the world's population. What's remarkable about this Christian history is how God entrusted ordinary people to begin this movement. We learn early in Acts that when the Jewish leaders observed the powerful preaching and miracles of Peter and John, that they were perplexed. In Acts 4.13, it says, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, 
they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Here were men that they knew were uneducated and common, and yet these men were speaking to thousands of Jews and persuading them to follow Jesus. Even when they had been arrested and thrown in prison, and then later released and ordered to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus, these ordinary men confidently resisted religious authority, saying, we must obey God rather than men. This is one of the most powerful testimonies to the truth of our faith. Formerly uneducated and common fishermen living simple lives spent three and a half years with Jesus. And then according to the Gospel of Mark, after the crucifixion, they ran away in fear when they saw the empty tomb. Fifty days later on the day of Pentecost, they are radically changed. They're bold, confident, and unafraid to stand up to religious pressure from the Jewish leaders. They are even willing to die for what they believe is true. How do we understand this radical transformation in their demeanor? One simple reason. They knew that Jesus had rose from the dead. They saw him, they touched him, and they heard him speak. The great C.S. Lewis pleaded to his readers in mere Christianity. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being just a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. How could C.S. Lewis make such a bold statement? It's because he took at face value the things that Jesus said about himself. If you'd seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father am one. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. His disciples believed he was Messiah because they were witnesses of what they had seen and heard, and now they are men on a mission with a message from God. And our faith rests on the testimony of these eyewitnesses. And we have the joyful responsibility and privilege to share how Jesus has changed our life to all those we meet so the next generation will carry this good news. This is a holy calling from God as we partner with the Holy Spirit in His work to reconcile lost sinners back to a relationship with the Father through Christ Jesus, His Son. 
The fact that there is a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven should give us an anticipated traffic number. So turn in your Bibles to Acts 9, verses 31 through 43, and join me in this journey this morning. The passage we're studying this morning almost seems out of place in this section of Luke's book. Through the first nine chapters, Luke is describing the fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Acts 1.8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The focus of these nine chapters has been on preaching the gospels to Jews in Israel. And it's about to change to a Gentile mission, evangelizing and establishing churches throughout the Mediterranean world through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul has just described earlier in chapter 9 the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. And his name is Saul at the time, but his name is going to be changed to Paul. And before Paul becomes the focus of Luke's attention, and that really begins in Acts chapter 13, he takes a brief detour here to give us a, a glimpse into the personal ministry of Peter. In 13 verses and two paragraphs, we learn three priorities in Peter's ministry. The first thing we see is that he was building up. We pick up the story in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I want to draw your attention to four things that are found in this verse. The first is this. Jews had been turning to Christ throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria. In a relatively short period of time, there is one church meeting in many towns with a multitude of believers in an area that was roughly the size of about 50 miles wide and about 150 miles long. That's the distance, if we were to look in Southern California, from Torrance to Corona and from Magic Mountain down to Tijuana, Mexico. That is the size of area where Jesus lived and walked on earth. And it is also the focus of evangelism to the Jews after the day of Pentecost up to this point in Acts. The second thing is that the church was at peace and was being built up. The Greek word for being built up means to build a house. And figuratively, it means to build up someone. That is, helping them to stand strong in their faith. And what a beautiful word to describe the work that we are all called to as believers. We're responsible to build each other up in the faith. The third thing that is found in this verse is that the first converts were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And this is a balance of deep reverence for God. And then the encouragement that they felt as the Holy Spirit worked within their midst and they loved on each other. And finally, the number of believers was multiplying. It was growing exponentially as the first Jewish believers spoke to their neighbors and lived out their faith in demonstrable ways of love. And that expression of their life that had been changed drew in those 
who were not saved to listen and then to turn to a relationship with Jesus. What's important to understand is that Peter was leading this work of God. We read in verse 32, it says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he was visiting the believers throughout all of Israel. He was being led by the Holy Spirit here and there to places where he could build up the church to strengthen the faith of the first converts and encourage them to live as a testimony of God's work. It was during this time that Peter came down from Jerusalem to the saints who were at Leda and Joppa in verses 32 through 43. Now, without this passage in Acts, we don't know much about Peter's ministry outside of Jerusalem. What we do know is that he preached a powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost that resulted in 3,000 converts. We also know he healed a lame beggar with John that resulted in him and John spending a night in jail and then another 5,000 men turning to Christ. But prior to this passage that we're looking at this morning in Acts 9, the only thing we know about Peter's personal ministry is found in Acts 5 verses 14 through 16. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. The people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together as well bringing people who were sick or tormented with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. This passage is reminiscent of the ministry of Jesus described in Luke chapter 8:44, when he was walking surrounded by a crowd as they pressed in on him, and a woman touched the hem of his garment and was instantly healed. Clearly, Luke has in mind that event as he describes this miraculous impact of Peter's shadow. The second thing we learn about Peter's ministry is that he was raising up. In verses 32 through 42, he performs two miracles. The first is with a man named Aeneas, who had been confined to a bed for eight years and was paralyzed. Leda was on the coastal plain of Sharon, a distance of about 22 miles northwest of Jerusalem. The story is presented without being sensationalized. Verse 33, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Imagine the feeling of helplessness, of being trapped in your own body and completely dependent on others for your existence and it says that Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Modern faith healers stand on a stage with carefully orchestrated music and fanfare and declare in a voice, be healed. Peter simply stated, Jesus heals you. And it was done. The miracle was instantaneous. A formerly bedridden 
and paralyzed man rose from his bed of helpless suffering and assimilated back into society. Verse 35, and all of the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. The purpose of miracles, according to the writer of Hebrews, was to authenticate the spoken word to those who heard. And we read in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 these words. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them. And that's the key section there. God testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And it's the same today. Whenever God's word is preached or spoken or read, his truth is validated by the Holy Spirit bearing witness through someone's changed life or when we live out our faith in authentic love and service as an assembly of believers like Chino Valley Community Church. None of us are perfect. We all live broken lives. Financial struggles that have strained a marriage, the loss of a house, a car accident that permanently scarred us, a sudden change of health, a divorce, outbursts of anger that have wrecked relationships, the loss of a family member that has brought lingering grief, a son or daughter that is rebellious and addicted to drugs, a teenage pregnancy, or like one of my coworkers recently lost a son to a fentanyl overdose. The heartaches of life are a part of everyone's journey. We just don't know when they'll come. You know, it's easy to talk about faith, but real faith is found when we are tested and stripped of everything that is within the power of our control. When we're forced to choose whether we will rely on our own resources or trust in the overwhelming riches of God's mercy and power to sustain us through these trials of life. Luke tells another story of a woman that Peter raised up. The location shifts from Leda to Joppa, about 10 miles northwest on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Modern-day Tel Aviv was built around this city, one of the oldest in the world. Joppa was a port city that was used for trade. And in the Old Testament, it is mentioned as the location where cedars from Lebanon were shipped and then transported to Jerusalem to construct the Temple of David. It is also the location where Jonah boarded a ship for Tarshish to flee after God told him to go and preach to Nineveh. When a prominent woman named Tabitha suddenly died, the church in Joppa sent two men to Leda to bring Peter. Did they believe that he would raise her from the dead? Or did they just want him present to comfort and to be with them in this awful time? The text is not clear. Tabitha was her Aramaic name, but she was also known by her Greek name, Dorcas. <clears throat> and verse 36 tells us that she was a woman full of good works and acts of charity. But she was also the Vera Wang of her community, 
popular fashion designer skilled in using fabrics and colors to create one-of-a-kind garments that were in great demand. An entourage of women were waiting in an upper room and mourning when Peter arrived. Verse 39, it says, So when Peter rose and went with them, he arrived and took, and they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made when she was with them. We can only imagine the scene and the sound of wailing and weeping of women overwhelmed by the loss of a dear friend. Peter sent everyone downstairs. And then he knelt down and he prayed. And the text says that after he finished praying, he said to the body, after he turned to it, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and sat up, and Peter gave her his hand and raised her up. Without fanfare, just confident faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to do something remarkable that would bring glory to God. The miracle was instantaneous and unmistakable. Like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, Peter imitated his master and did, and did what Jesus told his disciples that they would do in John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Imagine this scene. From grief and profound loss to indescribable joy and amazement, the tears that were flowing one moment became a testimony of God's miraculous power and mercy the next. Look at the result of this miracle in verse 30, 42. It says, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. The power of prayer is an amazing tool that unleashes the miraculous work of God as he chooses to do. But sometimes his healing is not in ways that we expect. Sometimes God has reasons for not restoring health or answering our requests so that he can accomplish a greater purpose. Eleven years ago, Laura Story discovered this paradox. She serves as a worship leader at a megachurch in Atlanta, Georgia. Two years after getting married, her husband's health started to decline, and he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Everyone in the church and their family fervently prayed for healing, but the miracle didn't happen even after the tumor was removed. Here was a godly, faithful couple committed to fruitful service, and God chose not to answer their prayers. Today, Laura's husband lives with blurred vision and memory problems that have changed their family. 
And she wrote a story about this detour in life that has now become her journey that she has used as a testimony of God's mysterious work. And I've asked Jamie and Ruth to sing and play this song for us called Blessings. What if a th- 
takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? If you're struggling with grief or anger toward God for not preventing something that has profoundly altered your life, know this. He loves you and understands your pain. He allowed his only son to suffer and die a a humiliating death on a cross, but death was not the final story. God raised him up to prove his power and love for us, and he will raise up your countenance if you turn to him and trust that he has a greater purpose for the pain that you experience. Laura Story's song, Blessing, rose to number one on the charts in 2011, and her ability to put into words her search for meaning during a trial of helplessness and despair continues to help millions of others process their unanswered prayers. That is the greater good. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The third principle that we learn about Peter's ministry is found in verse 43. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. We don't know how long he stayed with Simon, but it was for an extended period for sure, perhaps weeks, maybe even months. The occupation of a tanner was an important trade, but it involved handling dead animals and preparing their skins into hides to be used as leather for very important purposes. Tanners were required to live outside the city on the outskirts of town. They were in many ways social outcasts within their own communities. They smelled like dead animals, and as far as the Jewish law was concerned, they were ceremonially unclean. So when we read that Peter stayed at Simon's house for an extended time, there is something remarkable happening in his heart as a result of the gospel. The Holy Spirit was breaking down his religious rituals and social prejudices through God's love. You see, Peter was a devout Jew, and he kept the dietary laws and customs that he was raised under. But as the gospel continued to spread throughout Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea, it was becoming evident that there was more than just a spiritual transformation taking place. The Holy Spirit was changing society by breaking down barriers between people. 
Paul describes it this way about 15 years later when he wrote the church at Galatia. In Galatians 3.28, we read this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We need to be sitting down. Not just with those we naturally gravitate towards, but also those that we may see as tanners. We're called to one body, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to love one another and pray for, for one another. This is more than simply saying, I'll pray for you, and quoting a scripture verse. It involves our time and a listening ear. Johnny Erickson Tata put it this way, quote, hook up your spiritual veins to the one who is bleeding out of control from isolation, rejection, depression, anxiety, grief, addiction, or self-destructive behavior, and infuse your life into them. It's going to cost you something, but normal Christian service is always sacrificial service, unquote. So I have some questions to ask you this morning. Who do you associate with in this body? Who do you break bread with? Are your relationships built around just those who are like you? How can you move from an attitude of exclusivity to one that sees relationships as inclusive? What value do you place on those who are different than you in this body? Do you hold some people at a distance because they smell like a tanner? These are admittedly difficult questions that make us uncomfortable, but God has put us together in one body, and it is a part of the normal, ordinary Christian life. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. We need to be sitting down. The passage of Scripture we've been looking at this morning is really a model of what following Jesus looks like. It is normal, ordinary behavior that will allow the Holy Spirit to powerfully work through your life and through Chino Valley Community, and Ch Community Church to impact our friends and neighbors in the 15-mile radius of the Chino Valley and to the ends of the earth. This is our marching orders from Acts 1-8, to be his witnesses, and we'll do it when we are building up, raising up, and sitting down, just as Peter did, because of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Father, all your scripture is valuable and worthy to instruct us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to 
build us up and to make us complete for the work that you want for us and that you have for us that we don't even understand. And Lord, as we read this passage of Scripture and we see these miraculous things that took place in the life of Peter and we think that is so foreign to what our lives are like, Lord, help us to see the miracles, the small miracles that you create through our lives and within us every single day as we trust in you. And Lord, I just pray that as we consider this passage and the principles that we've looked at, that Lord, you would help us to see ways in which we can build up other people in this body of, of believers, that you'll give us insight and spiritual eyes to see places where we can intervene and raise up those that are down. And that, Lord, you would give us the courage and you would break through our heart and change us, that you might have us sit down with more people outside of our circle of influence. Because it is, Lord, through that work as we build up each other that you are going to bring about transformational growth, not only in our lives, but as we share that witness, as people see that and your Holy Spirit works through us, that people will turn to you and be drawn into your loving presence. And I pray, Lord, that as our eyes are closed and our hearts are bowed, I am sure, Lord, that there is someone here that came today, maybe invited as a guest, Maybe you have been searching for some period of time, just listening and holding God at a distance. That now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to respond to Christ. If you have a decision to make and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand right now? Is there anyone here today? Yes, I see that. Thank you. God, your word never returns void. And I pray for those who are considering these words and this passage of scripture and what it means for change in their life, that Lord, you would work within their hearts and you would work within my heart, that we would walk a life that is not based on our strength, but is based on your power that comes through your Holy Spirit. And that through that, Lord, you would accomplish your purposes within ourselves within this church and to our community and to the world. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.